Itaram unto the daughter. Gache would go. Anigdhya without controlling. Without controlling. Angajam, Angajam sex desire. Sex desire. Prabhu, Prabhu O Father. O Father. Translation, O Father, this performance in which you are endeavoring to complicate yourself was never attempted by any other Brahma, nor by anyone else, nor by you in previous kalpas, nor will anyone dare to attempt it in the future. You are the supreme being in the universe, so how is it that you want to have sex with your daughter and cannot control your desire? Please repeat, O Father, o Father this, performance this performance in which you are endeavoring, which you are endeavoring to, complicate yourself, to complicate yourself was never attempted by any other Brahma, nor by anyone else, nor by you in previous kalpas, nor, by you in previous kalpas, nor will anyone dare to attempt it nor in the future. In the future. You are the supreme being in the universe. You are the supreme being in the universe. So how is it? So how is it that you want to have sex with your daughter? That you want to have sex with your daughter and cannot control your desire. Cannot control your desire. Short purport. The post of Brahma is the supermost post in the universe. And it appears that there are many Brahmas and many universes besides the one in which we are situated. One who fills this post must be ideal in behavior, for Brahma sets the example for all living entities. Brahma, the living entity who is the most pious and spiritually elevated, is entrusted with a post next to that of the personality of Godhead. Translation again. O Father, this performance in which you are endeavoring to complicate yourself was never attempted by any other Brahma, nor by, any, nor by anyone else, nor by you in previous kalpas, nor will anyone dare to attempt it in the future. You are the supreme being in the universe, so how is it that you want to have sex with your daughter and cannot control your desire? Om Jnanatimarandasya Giranjana Sadakaya Chakshuru Militam Jina Tasmai Sri Gurvena Maha Sri Tetanya Manobishtam Stapitam Jina Bhutale Svayam Rupakadamayam Dadati Svabhadandikam Manchakalpaturubhyascha Kripasindhivivacha Patitanam Bhavanivyo Vaishnavivyo Namonamaha Jaya Sri Krishna Titanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar, Shri Vasati Gauravakta Vinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So this, this theme of example that Prabhupada is bringing out in the purport, ideal example, ideal and behavior. This is going to be continued for another few verses. So 
and it's been spoken about already. I mean, it's not a mystery um, that Brahma's behavior is to teach a significant lesson that no matter who you are, no matter how big you are, Maya is bigger because Maya is controlled by Krishna and especially the infatuation of lust, attraction to the opposite sex is the pinnacle of material attraction. So rather than repeat that over and over again, I thought it'd go in a little, not a different direction, but kind of broaden what what we're talking about in terms of morality and dharma. Because here, Brahma is, I think the next verse, or no, the previous verse, it said that it was a dharma. What Brahma did was a dharma, and Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, he describes that you know he descends whenever there is a predominant rise of irreligion, adharma. So, dharma sometimes is, you know, Prabhupada defines it differently, you know, the root being something that sustains some inherent characteristic of something, but also dharma is sometimes defined as morality, or Prabhupada sometimes defines it as laws laws of God, religious laws, and, and Prabhupada would, also, would often quote a famous verse in the sixth canto, Dharma to Saksad Bhagavat Panitam, that Dharma is, is that those laws stated by the Supreme Personality of God. Um, and just a regular definition, morality um, just means principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior. And it's especially relevant to a society. I mean, if you were alone on an island, it may not be as important, but when you're living in a society, which we all are, um, there, there has to be some sort of guidelines, just like when you're when you're driving out on the roads, if there weren't laws, if everybody would be like just doing whatever they want, driving, it's kind of like India, there's traffic laws. People drive all over the place, you know? You can, you can barely make a distinction, of, you know, as far as lanes, you know? The concept of lanes, it's not present. So it's very chaotic. And uh, so without laws on the road, then it would be very difficult to, to get from point A to point B. You'd be trying to dodge all the other cars. So uh, laws of God, laws of morality, they're meant for, to be able to get from point A to point B. And what, what is that point A to point B? Is that from our conditioned state to a liberated state? And uh, not only just stating laws and, and scriptures, which I think it's in the 16th chapter when Krishna talks about the Shastra is the, the ultimate evidence. Shastra Purana. But um, there's also the interpretation 
or the application of the Shastra, or, or even in, in regular uh, secular terms, like we have our government here in the United States, and there's different branches of government. There's the executive branch, and the judicial branch, and what's the other one? The legislative branch. And the, the job of the judicial branch is to evaluate the laws. And so in, in Prabhupada, Prabhupada oftentimes, he used, when, he, when Prabhupada uses the word interpretation, it has a negative connotation, like a mundane interpretation. Like we don't interpret Bhagavad Gita, we take it as it is. But there's, the regular meaning of interpretation means just the action of explaining the meaning of something. So it's not inherently negative, but Prabhupada usually refers to it in terms of mundane interpretation, like taking a materialistic posture and then trying to explain Bhagavad Gita in, in, from a material perspective. So that's condemned, but but just the, the fact of, that we have to explain the meaning of the scriptures, that's, that's what we're supposed to do as spiritual scientists. As, what's, his, what's that buddy's name? Chaitanya Charan. He's got a website called The Spiritual Scientist. And my Guru Maharaj, he says that Prabhupada often would speak of Krishna consciousness as science. It's not belief. So just to have a science without scientists would be not very important, you know, if you didn't have people who are actually practicing the science who could explain it, if you just had scientific books, but without teachers, then it wouldn't really have that much value. And then in the Mahabharata, there's a very famous verse where Prabhupada quotes the last line, Mahajana Jena Kathasapanta, that the ultimate religious principle What's the third, the uh, Guhayam, what's that third line? Dharmasya Tatvam Nihitam Guhayam. That the, the, the actual truth of religious principles, Dharmasya Tatvam, is Guhayam. It's hidden within the heart of great souls. Therefore, Mahajana Jainagatasabhantadam, which would follow in the footsteps of the great souls, because they actually understand the purport or the meaning and can explain the meaning of dharma. So, now in the Srimad Bhagavatam, um, Varnashram Dharma is elaborated in, in the second chapter. <clears throat> There's a famous verse that says, Atabhum birdvidasrestas varnashram avivagashah that the ultimate point of all dharma, specifically related to varnashram, the, the prescribed duties according to various castes of life, orders of life, the ultimate purpose is to please the personality of Godhead. And in the 15th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, famous verse that Prabhupada also quotes a lot, and Krishna says, I am the goal of the Vedas. Indeed, I'm the compiler of the Vedas. So, and finally, in this regard, in the Padma Purana, there's a, a verse, smartavya satatam vishnur vismartavya najatuchit. Was it sarve vidi nisedesur? 
is, it, is that the last line or the second to last line? I'm sorry to get in. Anyways, the, the, the translation is that the, the ultimate purpose of all um, rules and regulations is to remember Krishna and never forget him. So we could, you could surmise or you could, the ultimate dharma, as Krishna says, is to surrender unto me. So um, that's the, you could say, the benchmark that we measure is, you know, what is, what is the topmost dharma? Now, this pastime, Brahma's transgression of dharma, it's, it's a pretty heavy one. Even in our materialistic society, incest is pretty, is looked upon pretty terribly. You know. And uh, so there's, you know, there's one, I wanted to describe that the, in Kali Yuga, there's only, you know, the four pillars or the four legs of religion, there three of them are broken, and one's wobbly, it's truthfulness, you know, like um, to Prabhupada once my Guru Maharaj described that um, he was in Nubrindavan and Prabhupada was receiving his massage, which he would often receive in a seated posture, and he was being massaged by his servant. And there were a couple of kittens that were tumbling down a hill. They were playing, frolicking. And especially in those days, but even now sometimes we think of, you know, like animals are, they're not clean in general because they, just by the nature of their lifestyle, their chosen lifestyle. So there was this thing about touching an animal, you know, like, you, oh, you're contaminated, you know. So there was this really strong, especially back in the day, maybe even now, but it's, I mean, it is true, but at the same time, we were a little hypersensitive, you know. So my Guru Maharaj was saying that when these kittens were tumbling down the hill and they plopped into Prabhupada's lap, lap he was like, oh my God, the contaminated animals have touched the body of the pure devotee. <laughs> and oddly enough, Prabhupada, in, to his mind, Prabhupada started petting the kittens. And Prabhupada said, just see, even here there is love. You know, the, the affection between these little animals. And then Prabhupada said, and if I cut their throat, that is the greatest sin. So he was he was making a point that for innocent, for the innocent, whether it's an animal or a child or whatever, someone that is in your care or protection, to exploit them, to take advantage of them, is considered very grievous sin. So uh, it's just one point. And... Uh, you know, we talk, we talk a lot about protection. You know, the kshatriyas, their business is, is to protect. And the brahmanas are specifically supposed to protect the kshatriyas because kshatriyas have a passionate nature. They tend to get a little fired up. And you need to have that passion to govern and to fight and so on. You gotta have a little passion, but sometimes a passion can get a little out of control. So the brahmins are supposed to check 
kshatriyas, but also the kshatriyas are supposed to protect the brahmins. So, and the brahmins and kshatriyas are especially important at Varnashram um, because they guide society. They, they govern society and the brahmins guide you know, the kshatriyas. So they're especially important. Um, so getting back to uh, Brahma's transgression, you know, was it you know, the immorality of it. And there's a, there's, in the next purport, Prabhupada talks about Brahma being these great personalities. Their character is unimpeachable. So how do you reconcile? Here's, you know, the chief most personality in the universe. Now, now we've talked about how this is an important lesson. Don't become proud of your position, anyone can fall. But it's also, an, another perspective is that Krishna uses his devotees to teach important lessons. His devotees are um, surrendered to Krishna and even at the risk of their own reputation, someone could be very much attached to their reputation as being whatever, an important person. So, and there's a story of Gorikishore Das Babaji, who, you know, we, we all know is a very, was a very renowned for his renunciation. He used to live in uh, a latrine so that materialistic persons wouldn't unnecessarily bother him. So he was renowned for his renunciation. And there, it was, it was, Ranaswani was telling his story and he was saying that it was sort of becoming known to him that he had developed this reputation as being a great renunciate. So he was a little bothered by that, that he was getting this reputation. So uh, someone gave him some nice cloth, like a really fancy dhoti or something. And, and just to uh, kind of cut off this idea of having a reputation. He put on this fancy dhoti and walked into town. And everybody's like, what? So-called renunciate? Look at him, he's just wearing fancy clothes and this. And then when everybody sort of, you know, like kind of, not spit on him, but just realized, ah, he's such a heavy. So then he took off the, old, the fancy dhoti, put on his old grungy dhoti and went back and it was good. Now I don't have to worry about, you know, having a big reputation, you know, so. Um, so even at the cost of reputation, a devotee, and even like with the gopis, in their apparent transgression of going out in the middle of the night to meet Krishna, unmarried, well, they were married, actually. They were married. And, you know, going out in the middle of the night to meet, you know, it's a transgression of dharma. But for the pleasure of Krishna, they transgressed. Lower Dharma. So um, now we can read. There's a purport in the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita where Prabhupada talks about. Uh, so here's Krishna speaking. If I did not perform prescribed duties, all these worlds would be put to ruination. I would be the cause of created unwanted population, and I would thereby destroy the peace of all living beings. Now it's interesting that Arjuna actually gave that argument 
that if, if I fight and we kill all these warriors, then there's going to be Varna Sankara, there's going to be unwanted population because the women will be unprotected. But Krishna rejected that argument. Now Krishna is giving that argument. So, in understanding Dharma, it's not just, as they say, the letter of the law, but it's the spirit of the law, and the ultimate spirit of the law is what, what is pleasing to Krishna. And that's not always easy to understand because we live in a complicated world. Um, and this verse that we read today, the Marichi is saying, you're going to complicate yourself. That's what actually in the, in the translation it says, you, this performance is going to complicate your life or your, implicate you and so on. So, um, Anyways, in this purport, uh, Prabhupada quotes from 10th Canto of the Bhagavatam, one should simply follow the instruction of the Lord and his empowered servants. Their instructions are all good for us and any intelligent person will perform them as instructed. However, one should guard against trying to imitate their actions. One should not drink, one should not try to drink the ocean of poison in imitation of Lord Shiva. One should always consider the position of the Ishvaras, or those who, are act, who can actually control the movements of the sun and, and moon, as superior. Without such power, one cannot imitate the Ishvaras who are super powerful. Lord Shiva drank poison to the extent of swallowing an ocean. But if any common man tries to drink even a fragment of such poison, he will be killed. So, I was talking with Dhrilava Darshan once, and sometimes when we find, you know, it's almost like we're looking for a loophole. Like if we find faults in others, or the philosophy even, you know, it's like, oh, here's a contradiction. Now I can throw it out and be a sense enjoyer, because <laughs> it's not true. So sometimes this mentality is that you know we we either or find some shortcoming in the society, our ISKCON society, or in individuals who maybe even leaders. So I mean, who could be a greater leader than Brahma? So now this uh, Maitreya was actually a little reluctant to bring this up this whole pastime, but he said, well, because it sometimes happens that we have to, we have to speak the truth. So, um, but we have to be careful, you know, what is our, our motivation, our intention behind our, you could say, interpretation of Dharma. Um, Krishna talks about uh, even someone who performs abominable activities, if they're situated in devotional service, they should be considered saintly because they're properly situated. And Prabhupada in the purport, he talks about, this is referring to accidental fall downs as opposed to premeditated fall downs. So, um, just like in, in, in uh, regular uh, court cases, like say a murder trial, there's a different punishment for manslaughter as opposed to murder, because murder or like, and even within murder, there's first degree and second degree murder. And one of the big, what do you call it, determining factors is, was it premeditated? Now, did you plan it out ahead of time? Or was it just someone became overwhelmed by 
emotion or passion, like they talk about crimes of passion. You know, you, some man comes home and finds his wife with another man and he flips out in anger and he kills the guy. Now, it's one thing, I mean, it's wrong, but it's, it's different if he planned it all out. You know, he discovered the, the affair and then he planned out a whole thing. There's a more severe punishment. And uh, so in the application of Dharma, even Murari the hunter, when Narada Muni was telling him that, um, you know, you're half killing these animals. So he didn't tell him to stop killing because he was a hunter. That was like his nature. He says, just kill them completely. Don't half kill them. So, but, but for another person, that would be wrong to kill. So to be able to, but it was a, it was a point that Narada Muni was trying to, to elevate him. Okay, the lesser of two evils, just kill them totally, rather than half kill them and let them rise in agony. You know, so it was a step in the right direction. You're, it's the lesser of two evils, and ultimately, Amrgari became a great devotee. But in terms of our application of Dharma. Um, it's not so black and white or cut and dry, and it requires um, um, purification of heart to be able to apply and, and interpret the Shastra. Um, and there's, there's a tension between justice and uh, mercy that we find a lot. In Ashvatam, he killed the... Uh, five sleeping sons of the Pandavas. And uh, the Pandavas, that was a heinous crime. So Arjuna, Krishna told Arjuna, kill him, kill him. And when Arjuna brought the five sons before Draupadi, she said, spare them. Yeah. And Bhima's no, kill him, fired up. And Draupadi was saying, you know, no, I mean, I'm a mother and I know what it's like to lose my children. Now, if we kill Ashvatam, then, then his mother will feel the same pain that I'm feeling. So I, I can't impose that on her. So there was a conflict, a moral, con a moral dilemma between two great devotees. So it's not... It's not, it shouldn't shock us that there are these types of conflicts, you know, amongst moral dilemmas. And Krishna reconciled it in that, because in the Bhagavad Gita it says, for one who has been honored, dishonor is worth in death. So Ashvatam was uh, humiliated by a particular, he was, he, the knot of his hair was cut and the jewel was removed, and apparently this is a great prestigious thing. And similarly with Rukmi. Rukmi, when Krishna kidnapped Rukmini and Rukmi came chasing after him, um, Krishna was going to kill him. And Rukmi, Rukmini intervened and said, he's my brother, please don't kill him. So then Krishna made an adjustment. He disfigured him by cutting his hair and his mustache in a funny way or something. Another, again, dishonor. Dishonor is worse than death. So, to be able to um, balance justice and mercy, this is a constant, there's a tension. And 
there's almost like people are hardwired in different ways. Some people are very about very much about justice and laws and the letter of the law. And then there's people who are very almost like hardwired to be like, well, let's be compassionate, let's let's be merciful. Um, and they have this term extenuating circumstances also in law, that there are extenuating circumstances. There are situations where you have to take into consideration, well, this happened and that happened, you know, and you can't just look at the the particular act and judge it on the act its own. There, there are circumstances around surrounding it. So that all takes sort of like a dispassionate demeanor, like you can't be, like this whole idea of revenge. You know, there's so many movies where there's some, the beginning of the movie is like, there's some atrocious thing happens and then the whole rest of the movie is, is how they get the bad guy. And then and at the end, you know, you know, they really give it to him. It's like, yeah, we got the bad guy. You know, he deserved it, you know. And, uh, but the whole material world, in a sense, is it's, it's a manifestation of Krishna's mercy that we walked out on Krishna. And Krishna, you could say, the whole act of creation of the material world, it, it's, it's very merciful and it's very forgiving in the sense that Krishna doesn't hold it against us. And uh, in the Krishna book, there's a statement Prabhupada makes, it's in the prayers of the personified Vedas, of all the qualities of Krishna, his, the most exalted is his compassion for the fallen souls. So, but at the same time, you know, we can't let compassion um, obscure, or you could say sentiment, that one, because people can take advantage of this, if someone is very soft-hearted, people can take advantage of that and commit more atrocities, you know. So there has to, there's always this tension between justice and mercy. And uh, another, another facet is the ideal and the real. The Shastras, they present the ideal. But the real is that we're all conditioned souls and we're all struggling to come up to the ideal. And if we, if we hold everyone to the ideal standard, sort of without consideration of any circumstance, then not, because we can hold individuals to a, to an unrealistic standard, but we can also hold a society to an unrealistic standard. Like we have to be, we can't expect, you know, a lot of times people, you know, because of mistakes that were made in the past, and many of them very grievous, people say, well, I don't have anything to do with this con because of the, or now the Catholic Church is another, there's just a report that came out in Pennsylvania that over the last 70 years, there have been just thousands of cases of sexual abuse by the clergy, and it's, it's a big, you know, a big thing. So, so many people, like, I don't have anything to do with the Catholic Church because of the transgressions of, of, of you know, particular individuals. Um, and it's, it's interesting, too, because they talk about, it's not so much the crime, it's the cover-up that's worse. 
You know, like if you admit something and you're repentant, generally people will like give you a little more leeway than if you tried to cover it up and hide it and pretend that it didn't happen and so on. So, and that was part of part of the lesson too is that Brahma is repentant. He was ashamed. In a few more verses, it'll say that after this, um, and but it was really due. It was due to the prayers of the sages on behalf of Brahma because Brahma was overwhelmed by this and Prabhupada writes in the purport it appears that Brahma was so overwhelmed by passion even though the, his son son or sons were saying what are you doing he couldn't check it but it was when when the sages prayed on his behalf like protect him protect protect him then Brahma had the realization and he was ashamed and he gave up it says he gave up his body but later on in the Bhagavatam it says he gave up the mentality he gave up the mentality so um, repentance is a big theme you know and, and especially like in Christianity you know turn or burn but um, so that's you know part of I, I just a lot of this had to do with justice and so I was reading different things about court and law and stuff so you know a big a big thing about you know when someone is being tried if they don't show any remorse for their crime then it's it it uh, it plays into their you know what the what the jury is going to determine as far as what the what the verdict is and stuff if they don't show any remorse so brahma uh, he he was ashamed and he gave up that mentality and he was reinstated so not reinstated but I mean he was he went on with his service so that you know that verse when Krishna says even if someone performs the most abominable activity if they're if they're not if they don't give up their determination and and Prabhupada there's a there's a very wonderful purport in the uh, in the ninth chapter which was very uh, I don't know encouraging to me um, Anyways, Prabhupada talks about um, one may not be able to follow all the rules and regulations, but if one is not resentful of the principle, like you don't you don't come up with a new philosophy justifying not following the principles, but but due to conditioning, one may not be able to follow all the principles. But if you realize, well, that's the ideal, and let me move toward that ideal, even if I can't follow right now. Um, but but when one holds a position of, especially, uh, Bhakti Tirtha Swami, he talked about, if you are um, if you are treated harshly by enemy, it, it's not. It's like surprise, you know. It's not such a big surprise if you're treated harshly by a family member or a friend. Well, I think he went to fam a friend. It's harder to forgive. A family member treats you harshly. It's even harder. But the the, the most difficult is someone who's acting in a position of spiritual authority. If they treat you or abuse you. It's very difficult to forgive because they've taken that position of representative of God. So, is there's a, there's a grave responsibility for someone who's in a position of spiritual authority representing 
um, Prabhupada, Parampara, ultimately Krishna. So it, it shouldn't be, say we, we should be uh, maybe a little cautious about wanting to step into a position of authority without the qualifications of being very mature spiritually. Um, um, so not an easy job being representative of, of Krishna. Although on the one hand it's easy, Prabhupada would say all you do is repeat the words of Krishna. But there's, you know, what do you call it? A, Footnotes to that. There's a what do they call that? Fine print. It's a fine print, you know. And and overriding everything, one has to be sincere. Sincere in their determination to never give. I wish I could find that uh, purport. I think it's at the end of the ninth chapter where. Um, let's see. Um, maybe think. Anyone have any comment or question while I look for that? It's not. It's 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 not easy to. Therefore, the whole principle of of submission to senior Vaishnavs in, in terms of trying to understand. And Prabhupada's books, even sometimes devotees will say, "Well, Prabhupada gave his purports," you know. You know, he's explaining the verses, but you know, we need people to explain Prabhupada's purports to us. You know, we to to be able to understand. And uh, there's there's a lot of discussion about academic uh, integrity, and that you have to understand Prabhupada's books and as a whole, not just isolated portions, because you can without having a broad view. That's one of the definition of Mahatma. Mahatma means broad-minded. So we have to have a broad picture and that, and that means once consciousness is elevated that you can see the big picture when you're too close. The example of being very close to a mountain, you can't appreciate the breadth of it. You're, you're right in front of it. You can't see, but when you step back then you can see the scope of the mountain. So when we're very materially attached, we're very attached to material consciousness, bodily consciousness, that means our consciousness is, is we're, we can't objectively see things. There has to be some detachment or some distance from an object to, to see it um, properly. So uh, in order to understand the philosophy, it's not a question of memorizing verses and being able to just repeat uh, Prabhupada says like a parrot, but it requires detachment from material sense gratification in order to properly understand and explain the scriptures. And that, that just comes from years of practice, you know, but, but patience is not one of our strongest points generally, you know, in Kali Yuga. And, uh, but it requires patience. The mode of passion is I want things right away, you know. And we can, and we can oftentimes fall prey to the idea of if I very rigidly follow, you know, externally the rules and regulations or perform austerities, which for the most part are external, austerities of the body, 
maybe austerities of the mind, but that we can sort of circumvent the purification process and just sort of jump to a level that we're not on and then wield the weapon of criticism because we think you know, we're more advanced than we are. And that's typically indicative of a misunderstanding of one's own position or advancement in Krishna consciousness that you, you feel you have a license to criticize others because I know more, I'm more advanced. So it's, it, it's you know, one of those barometers, you know, that we can understand our level of devotional service in terms of how much we're appreciating others as opposed to how much we're finding fault. I didn't look up that. Let me see if I can find it here. Bhagavad Gita as it is. I know it's at the end. It's in the ninth chapter. But this is, again, the ideal and the real. Um, There are concessions given. You could say concession, just like marriage, it's a, it's a concession. It's a concession for sex life. And Prabhupada even said, licit sex or licit sex, they both are miserable. They both end up, even you follow religiously, you still have to suffer. But at least you're within the Vedic umbrella like of Dharma by... You know, there's a purple where Prophet said, a, a, man, a conditioned soul is never satisfied with one wife. It's always looking for someone else. Some new, you know, new, you know, that story of the, 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 the prostitute, was it Bill, was it Bill Mungo Thakur? Who was it when he, about the different plates? She, maybe that wasn't Bill Mungo Thakur, but it was about serving the food on the different plates, a gold plate and, a, you know, so this, this man was thinking, you know, I'm gonna go to this prostitute and and she served him food on different types of plates. Golden plate. Yeah, golden plate and a, and so it's the, the enjoyment is the same, but you think it's gonna be different. So, uh, so it's a concession, but ultimately it, it, it's meant to be given up completely, but you've gotta make gradual steps. So that's really the Vedic uh, you'd say paradigm is that it's a gradual process and according to your ability to follow you you restrict yourself not everybody can follow strictly right away but we should always keep the ideal in mind and work towards that but be um, to be strict with yourself and be lenient with others you know we should um, not be over eager to measure others, but we should look at ourselves. Um, I think it's the very end, yeah, 32. Anyways, it's getting late. But anyway, that, that was something that always encouraged me, that when, when, um, when Prabhupada said that in the purport, that, you know, don't be resentful of the principle, you know. Of not being able to follow. Comment? Question? I like that um, point you just made that it's miserable either way. And I think that, that ties into what you're saying because it's like the rules aren't about, the rules that they're about, if we do certain things, we'll get certain reactions. So we're going to suffer. It's not like, like if, we, if we don't end up getting out of the material world, then we'll remember Krishna at the time of death. And in this cycle for good, we're going to suffer. So there, 
Yeah, like I said, some people are just hardwired. They love rules, you know. They like routine. They like. They're just they're into rules, you know. It's, it, and it, it's not a fault per se, but it has to be balanced, you know, because the other extreme is no rules. It's all about your heart, you know, and then you can be lead astray in that way. So too much attachment, Rupa Goswami says, too, too much attachment for rules or neglect of rules, they're both causes of fall down. So. I'm going to end with a, a joke I pulled on, on Mother Krishna Kumari. Okay. Here it is. What am I doing? Thinking outside the box. <laughs> That's what we have to do. We have to not be, we have to be uh, broad-minded. You're meditating on Srimad Bhagavatam. Oh, it's Srimad Bhagavatam. Srimad Bhagavatam? That's nice. All right, go to Srimad Bhagavatam. Hare Krishna, 